0: Would you all stand as we hear God's word this morning? This is James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 through to verse 12 of chapter 4. Would you hear God's word? You turn there and hear his word for us this morning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise in understanding among you, by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have a bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is God's word for us this morning. Amen. Let's take our seats.
1: Amen. Well, I want to invite you to keep your Bibles open in James 3 and James 4. And let me pray for us as we start here. Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you in your sight, O Lord. My rock, and my Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, on March 31st in 2013, the sports world witnessed one of the most gruesome injuries on TV. Basketball player Kevin Ware jumped to block a shot, landed awkwardly, and completely fractured his lower right leg. Bone was sticking out, and teammates and viewers watched in horror as they saw just how much pain he was in. The bone break was so horrific that that many were forced to turn away and look away in shock. The, The fracture caused immense pain, incredible hurt, terrible damage to his body, and it caused the watching world to look away in shock. Well, the effect of Kevin Ware's leg fracture serves as a picture for what James is highlighting in our text today. He's speaking about the effects of fractured relationships in the body of Christ. There seems to be conflict, quarrels, fighting, causing hurt and damage within the church community, and it's causing damage all around, and it's potentially causing a watching world to turn away in shock, no longer drawn to the church community. Listen to these words again, just as we heard them read out in James 3, 9, people cursing others. 3.15, 3.15, jealousy, envy, disorder. one, quarrels, fights. 4.11, judging and speaking evil against another. The church is full of conflicts and fights in these communities here. And James has words of confrontation and correction. And friends, here at College Church, we are in no way immune to these realities. And in fact, I think this is a timely word for us as a church. What quarrels are represented here at College Church? In our communities, in our small groups, in our marriages, with roommates, brothers and sisters. As with these early Christians, there, there is always a threat to cause relational conflict that can cause serious damage and harm to the church community. We have plenty of ammunition, whether that's COVID conversations mask conversations, political conversations, money, ministry, and much more. So here's a key question for us as we dive into this and just think about this on a big picture level. What will cause college church to be full of conflict and full of relational fractures? What will cause college church to be full of conflict? James is going to answer that question But he's going to help us by actually wanting us to think about a greater question, which is this. What will cause college church to be full of peace and full of maturity? The threat is conflict. The desire for maturity is peace within the life of the church community. The first thing, verses 1 to 12, we find the untamed tongue. What will cause relational conflict and what will break and fracture a community? It is the untamed tongue that James speaks about he starts by talking to the uh, teachers or those who would desire the role of teacher. Why does he do this? He says, not many of you should become teachers. Well, teachers constantly lose the, use their words. There's a great danger of leading others into error and teachers will give an account for their words and they're open to greater judgment. But, but even more than this, there seems to be in the surrounding context that, that there were some who were wanting to enter into the role of teacher because that held a position of honor and respect in the eyes of others. And so they were potentially selfishly wanting to enter into that role for what would felt like a, a, a role of pre- prestige or position above others. And James is gonna correct an improper striving and self-centered motivation. And so he launches into this conversation about the tongue. And and a couple big realities that we see with the tongue. First thing that James is going to put before us is the power of the tongue. He uses these illustrations of a horse. This massive creature of a horse can be guided and directed by a little bit in the mouth. A huge ship In the midst of a a big storm and waves and winds, a little rudder will guide that ship safely into the harbor. Something very small, very simply, very small, can have massive power and influence on things that are great and that are big. The tongue is small, but it can make great boasts. Friends, our words can have great power and influence to bring others into maturity or to lead others down a path of destruction. James wants very clearly for us to see and to hear words have power and have influence. But he starts to move us forward and to think not only of the power of words, but the danger of words. Look at verses three through eight with me again. Strong words here that talk about words as if they are like fire that set wildfire loose in a forest, He says in verse five, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We've probably read or heard and and prayed for many of our friends on the West Coast who have been struck by so much wildfire. Over three million acres have been burned to the ground because of wildfires. We need to pray for our friends on the West Coast and all around the globe. And here James is, he's grabbing a hold of that image and he's saying that our words can spark a flame within a church community and within relationships and cause severe damage, just like a wildfire. And the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It's, it's like this metaphor of, of all that is in opposition to God. And the tongue is is set on fire even from hell, he says in verse seven. He's saying the tongue has has great power to cause destruction and lead a life on a course that is in opposition to God. And the source of, of, of all of this dangerous way of speaking, it ultimately stems from the evil one who is a liar and a deceiver and wants to use tongues to cause mass destruction in the church and in the world. Great danger. He goes on to say all these great beasts around the world they can be tamed but the tongue nobody can tame the tongue it's a deadly poison it's full of restless evil it's powerful it's dangerous but he also moves forward to talk about the hypocrisy of the tongue in verse 9 he says my brothers my brothers and sisters with our tongues, with our words, we bless the Lord and we also curse people made in the likeness of God. He says, "This these things ought not be. He's exposing the hypocrisy of our tongues that we praise God the creator, yet we look at other people and we speak against them in cursing and we speak against them with judging and we speak against them in criticism just at the end of our section in chapter four says, who, who are you to judge other people by speaking critical words of judgment upon them? You see, when we curse others, we're seeking to bring harm by way of slander and we're devaluing them or dehumanizing people. We try to take away their dignity because all people were made in the likeness of God. All people have dignity. All people have value. All people have distinct worth in the eyes of our creator because we're all made in the image and likeness of him. And at the end of our section, that kind of bookends this conversation on the tongue in chapter four, verses 11 through 12, saying, who are you to judge? There's, there's only one judge. Not only do we devalue other people, but, but in, in that action, we're actually trying to dethrone God. God. We're trying to put ourselves in the position of authority over the Word of God and in a position of authority that only God should have as the real, true judge. You see, it doesn't matter what someone looks like. they're made in the likeness of God. They deserve words of respect. It doesn't matter what political party, it doesn't matter what ethnicity, it doesn't matter what social status. It doesn't matter whether you agree with them or not. Cursing another person made in the likeness of God, it has no place in the vocabulary of a Christian. It's offensive to God. For centuries, men and women have blessed God at church, but they've run home to curse people because of the color of their skin, people who were made in the likeness of God. Church family, these things ought not be so. Come November, Christians from all kinds of political parties who've spent the last year praising God on Sunday morning are going to start to unleash tweets and posts and condemning statements full of unrighteous anger against people who are made in the likeness of God. Church family, these things ought not be so. Men praise God at the Bible study, but they run home to be harsh with their wife, with their words, or critical of their children with their words. Christian brothers, these things ought not be so. Women want to flock through the doors on Sunday morning, joyfully praising God and thanking God, and during the week, sowing seeds of discord and gossip, talking about other people behind their back. Contradicting the words that they've said on Sunday morning. Sisters, these things ought not be so. James is exposing the great danger and hypocrisy of the tongue. And he wants us to be confronted with this reality of our own speech that can wreak havoc in a church and in homes and in relationships. And the response here throughout the rest of this passage is is not simply a do better, work harder at your words. He goes on in verses 10 through 11. He says, a spring cannot have fresh and salt water. A A fig tree cannot bear olives. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James is moving the conversation from the untamed tongue to the heart. And he's gonna do so by way of talking about wisdom in verses 13 through 18. So the untamed tongue will cause conflict and will cause disaster in the life of a church but also following the influence of wrong wisdom. Wrong wisdom, verses 13 to 18. James is gonna contrast these two types of wisdom that can both influence and shape a heart and a life. His initial question in verse 13, where he says these words, who is wise in understanding among you? There seems to be a, a, a corrective tone again where some may be boasting in an apparent status as a wise leader. But James is, is saying, let the wise person show himself by his conduct, by his life lived in the meekness of wisdom. Sooner or later, one's life is gonna reveal what is under the surface. It's not about degrees, it's not about intellect. It's about the character of one's heart that is gonna reveal who is truly wise. So he contrasts these two wisdom, wisdom from above, but then he gives us a picture of what is wisdom from below. This wrong wisdom can infiltrate the Christian community and just like the untamed tongue, it can cause disastrous effects and great harm. It's wisdom from below, it's wisdom from the world, and it's marked by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy, very simply, it's, it's envy at others. It comes out in anger when people disagree with you, or they seem to be getting ahead of you. A heart with bitter jealousy doesn't celebrate the successes of others. A heart of bitter, bitter jealousy actually wants to squash the successes of others. A heart of bitter jealousy does not celebrate, but is actually stung, hit a little bit when they see other people succeed. Selfish ambition. It's the proud heart that strives to advance oneself even at the cost of others. Greedy self-centeredness that wants to get yourself ahead. You see, it seems that some are claiming to be wise, but their hearts are full of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. And it's a threat to the community of faith. What about us this morning? When you take a black light and you scan in a room, it starts to expose some of the the marks and some of the nasty stains that are in a room. I wonder if we took a black light upon everyone's heart this morning, what would that reveal? What selfish ambition would be there? What bitter jealousy would be there? James says this is earthly. It's not from heaven, it's actually from the world. And when he says the world, what he means is just the system of beliefs and attitudes that resist and reject and oppose God. That's what he means when he says it's earthly, it's, it's worldly. It's not only that, it's unspiritual. In no way does it come from the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's inherently unspiritual. And in shocking fashion, James keeps going and he says, this worldly wisdom is demonic. These attitudes originate and reflect demonic rebellion against God. It doesn't come from God. It comes from the world. And it can influence the heart and those who embrace it, they're actually choosing to resist and reject God and trying to elevate themselves in life. Very clearly, James is saying the the fruit of this type of wisdom, the fruit of selfish ambition, the fruit of bitter jealousy is going to be all kinds of disorder and all kinds of evil, sinful practices. It's going to result in fractured relationships, destroyed friendships, and all kinds of disorder. Self-exalting, self-advancing way of thinking. Sometimes that can be prized in the world. It often is this dog-eat-dog world, but, but this does not come from God. And so James is putting this contrast for us to cause us to evaluate our own hearts because our tongues, this untamed tongue, is connected to our heart, and it reveals what is actually in the heart. We need wisdom from above, this wisdom that is pure. Look there, down there with me in verse 17 and 18. Pure Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Worldly wisdom produces selfish ambition and jealousy. It bears the fruit of disorder and sinful conduct. Wisdom from above, wisdom from God, transforms the heart. To then act in purity and peace and humility. A transformed heart that, that will begin to sow seeds of peace in relationship and over time in life will bear the harvest of righteousness in their own life and in the lives of others and in the community of faith. We need to confront our own hearts this morning. What is it that marks us at College Church Is it it the wisdom of the world that is marked by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in the heart? When we see the successes of others, it kind of stings a little bit. Or are we marked by wisdom that comes from above, that is given by God, that transforms a heart, that will transform a community into maturity and be full of peace and full of gentleness well, that community will be strong and full of righteousness. That community will be attractive to the world around us. The untamed tongue, that can cause havoc in a community. The wrong wisdom, it will produce all kinds of disorder, all kinds of sinful conduct. Well, James drills even deeper. He wants to expose the true source of it all, in verses one to five of chapter four, it's an adulterous heart, an adulterous heart. I remember one time I was outside a restaurant and I encountered, encountered a man. He was just released from jail and we struck up a, a conversation and he was telling me all about his life and his life story. And I was listening and I was hearing the descriptions that he was talking about. All of the challenges, all of the difficulties and his current situation especially, it seemed to have someone else as the root of every cause of his misery in life. There was never a sense of remorse or ownership for anything that happened in his life. The issue was always everybody else. The problem resided outside himself. But if we're honest with ourselves, we realize how often we actually have the same attitude and way of thinking. James confirms this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Verse 1 of chapter 4. We all tend to answer it's their fault. They've caused that. Somebody else has done that to me. Well, James says fights spring from a sinful, selfish heart inside of us, self centered desires. Self-centered prayers, fights, quarrels, conflicts. That's where the source is. But he's exposing this selfish heart, yes, but look at verse four with me. Some of the strongest language that James uses, he says, you adulterous people. Ultimately, the root problem of everything we've talked about today is that in our hearts there is spiritual adultery against God. The untamed tongue, the influence of selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, disorder, discord, tensions, fights, all of that is springing from a heart that is going after other lovers other than God. Spiritual adultery. The Bible talks about God as this great husband of the church. We are his bride. He demands and he deserves full allegiance, full devotion, full loyalty. And in a word, the sum and essence of spiritual adultery, which here is embracing the ways of the world, the thinking of the world, is pride. It's pride. We try to be friends with the world, but in fact, we're in opposition to God. We're enemies of God. We're at enmity with God. Pride moves our tongues to make them as weapons of mass destruction upon others. Our pride is the root cause of all kinds of relational problems. Our pride, in fact, is leaving God for the ways of the world. And James is using strong words in verse 5. And he says, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he made to dwell in us? You see, he's pointing out that many in this church were living with a divided heart, divided loyalties, split allegiances. God is calling us even this morning through his word to no longer have one foot in the world and trying to have another foot in relationship with the living God. God wants the totality of our life, undivided devotion, undivided allegiance, no flirtation or friendship with the ways of the world, which is trying to advance ourselves or trying to get what we want at all costs. God will not share space with anyone. This has been a very convicting passage that is confronting us with a very strong reality, exposing the sin of our tongues, exposing the pride within our own hearts, but moving into verse six, we need these words He gives more grace. He gives more grace. God gives grace that forgives. God gives grace that sustains. God gives grace that strengthens us for a life of full devotion to Him. God welcomes back the sinner to Himself. Verse 6 He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What is the aim of this passage? It's not simply to identify what is going to cause conflict and what are the roots of that. This passage is calling us to humble repentance of our spiritually adulterous hearts, to return back to God. He describes it in verses 7 to 10 submit yourself to God, no longer resisting God, come under his authority. We are not the authority of our life, but come to him in humble repentance, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's a turn that must happen in our life. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to say no to the temptation of the devil, to turn away from sin and to return back to God, the lover of our soul. Draw near to him in faith and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, get rid of the sin that is on your hearts, get rid of the sin that is on your hands and in your life, your attitudes and your actions before the living God. God has given us the strength to do that by the power of his Holy Spirit. Humbly return to God. Mourn, weep, wail, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Strong words from James that are revealing all kinds of challenges that that not only we might potentially face, but actually, I think our present, potentially even in the life of this church, conflict, fighting, quarrels, the root cause is an adulterous heart before God. Return to him. James wants us To embrace repentance. To depend on God for his grace that is demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And as we repent of sin, depend on his grace, and ask for wisdom from above. God will not resist and reject that prayer. But he will turn to us. He gives us his grace. He gives us his wisdom. So that we would not be marked by conflict and bitter jealousy, and discord, but that we would flow, come out of our hearts, this life of peace with each other, using words that sow peace, and build us up into maturity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word that gives us a picture of our own hearts against you ultimately, Lord, but but we do thank you for This call at the end of this passage, this picture of humble repentance returning back to you. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for the ways in which our speech and our hearts are going after the things of the world and the ways of the world in our own pride, Lord. We want to humble ourselves before you and we want to ask that you would be gracious to us and we thank you that you are in Christ We want to ask that you would give us wisdom, wisdom from above that would fill this church with peace and gentleness. We would be open to reason with one another, Lord. I pray that that would fill this community here. And so we look to you in repentance and humility. In Christ's name we pray, amen.